Thank you, Darren, for uh, leading us so uh, well, and musicians as well, this morning. One of the things that's changed uh, rapidly, uh, massively, in my short, well, not so short lifetime, of course, is the, the whole thing about communication, isn't it? I don't think when I was a, a very young child, I don't think we had a telephone. We were fairly modest background. So I don't think we, when I was a young child we had one. I can remember when we did eventually have one because my mom and dad used to moan about me spending so long talking to Kim on the phone when we just spent all day together, whatever else. We'd still go on the phone later on in the evening, usually to argue or to say sorry because we had been arguing or something. But, but communication has changed massively, hasn't it, over the, in this last generation. So, you know, uh, we've gone literally from where it used to just be writing letters and telephone calls. We've now got all the, the social media that uh, Darren was talking about. So, you know, it's, it always seems strange to me as, as you walk down the street and you see a group of girls, or not just girls, even lads as well, and they're walking down the street together, and yet each of them is accessing their mobile or their smartphone or whatever else. They're, they're communicating, I assume, with other people. Communication has changed a lot. And actually, as Darren said, going along on Wednesday evening, I think, will be really important because this world is changing fast. And it's important that we as Christians understand the world into which, which we're coming and how that affects us both positively and also adversely. So I'd encourage you to go along to Life Matters. I think it's this coming Wednesday. But of course, the best form of communication is still face-to-face, isn't it? Person-to-person. That is so much better than all the others because you can communicate so much more face-to-face. You can see expressions which tell you something, not just the words themselves. That's great, isn't it? Unless you're invisible. So how does God, the invisible, communicate with people? And uh, we know, of course, he does so through creation, as we've talked about a little this morning and touched on. When we look at the world around us, in all its variety and beauty and size, we begin to realize just how great the Creator is. And the Bible tells us that the creation points to God. And when people don't take that pointer, then they're disbelieving because the creation points to Him. We know also that He spoke through angels and then through men and prophets. But of course, the Bible tells us in Hebrews, doesn't it, that in these last days, God has spoken to us through his son. And we're going to just briefly read again, I think Darren may have, he's read several passages that uh, we were going to think about this morning, that Colossians 1 is a wonderful passage. But if you turn to John chapter 1, we'll just read uh, that verse 14 together for now. John 1, 14. The word became flesh. And made his dwelling among us. Sorry, yes, if you need a Bible, put your hands up. And I don't know what page number, I do apologize. Beginning of John's Gospel, John 1.14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus, the word. It's interesting, isn't it? Why, why John, the apostle who's writing this gospel, we think, towards the end of his life. Why does he describe Jesus? Because we know that's who he's talking about. He says so in verse 17. Why does he describe him as the Word? 
I think there's various reasons for that. One, of course, is the word is an expression of what's going on in here, isn't it? So you can't see what's going on in here, which is probably pretty good for you. Um, but when I express my thoughts, you can hear them and receive them and respond to them. And in that sense, Jesus is the expression of God himself. He expresses something that otherwise is invisible and unknown to us about the nature of God. In the beginning was the word. Another reason is the one that Darren brought out, is that Jesus only had the name Jesus, didn't he, when he was born. But that was not the beginning of the one that we know as Jesus. Christmas morning was not when it all started for him. It's when it started as a baby, but that's not when he, when he came into existence. He'd existed, John says, in the beginning. And so John the Apostle, when he's writing this, Jewish believers, Jew, Jewish readers of this, as they read the very first words of John's Gospel, which, are, which, which we'll read now, as in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. When, when, he, when John calls him the Word, Jewish people would instantly re- connect with that passage right at the beginning of the Bible. Genesis 1, 1. In the beginning, God created heavens and the earth. Jesus was in the beginning. Born as a baby and named Jesus, but he was in the beginning, as Darren so well reminded us, before creation. He was the creator of the visible world as well as the invisible world. Now, the visible world is big, folks, if you didn't realize that. If, just to give you an example, if we wanted to create a model of just our galaxy, right? And I'm told there are lots and lots, millions, billions of galaxies. But let's just say we want to create a model just of the Milky Way. And in this model, you know, we've got to reduce it to size. The scale of the model is this. That if the gap between, the distance between the moon and the earth, or the earth and the moon, is the thickness of the paper, not this, the thickness of the paper... That's the scale we're using. How big a model do you think we need for our galaxy? Shout out. How big a model? Think it's the size of this paper? Do you think it's the size of this room? Is it the size of the football pitch? How big is the model going to be just of our galaxy on a scale of the moon to the earth? Is the thickness of the paper. A mile square. Anybody want to go higher, higher? Sorry? Size of Gloucester. Higher, higher. I'm going to have to bring this to a quick conclusion because it could take a long time. Basically, 700 kilometers square. Just for our galaxy. That's how big the model would need to be. That is just one of billions. It's big, the visible world. It's really big. And he is the creator of all that is visible, but he's also the creator of all that is invisible. That's, I don't know how big that is. All that spiritual world. That's Jesus, the Word, the Creator. And the Jewish readers would have understood that. To the Greeks, 
The word, of course, in Greek is logos. Logos, logos, I don't know how you pronounce it, but something like that. And uh, when, when Jesus, when, when therefore John writes about the word, the Greek readers would have thought of logos. What would it have meant to them? Well, there's a guy called, and I don't know how to pronounce his name, but Heraclitus, 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 I don't know. He was, a, he, was a, he was the founder, if you like, of, or one of the founders of what we call science today. You see, this guy, he was interested in knowing the how and the why of things. So as he observed, he wanted to know, how is it like this? Why is it like this? So when he, when he, when he looked at nature, which in Greek is bios, when he looked at the natural world, he asked, Why? And the why is logos. When he looked at the weather, which in Greek is meteor, he asked why? Logos. So you can thank him for terms like biology, bios, logos, meteorology, meteor, logos. Because he asked the question why. This This was in Greek thinking. The reason why. And Jesus, as Darren has read to us from Colossians, Jesus is the ultimate reason why everything is. He's the reason for everything. Everything that was made was made by him, and Colossians said it was made for him. Everything. He's the ultimate Logos. The reason why. When Kim and I first got married, we had a hamster, as you do. Much easier, much easier than children, isn't it? Actually, we should have stuck with a hamster. <laughs> Just think of all that stress we could have saved ourselves, all that cost. We could have had one hamster after another. I mean, it would have just been so easy. Anyway, we had, a, we had a hamster. Actually, hamsters are pretty easy as pets go, of course, as well, apart from the fact that we did have one or two troubles with this hamster. Once he got caught in the gas fire, he found his way up into the gas fire, and we had to disconnect the gas fire, and the gas supply, to get out. We could have just fried him, I suppose, but she, she wouldn't let me, and, um, to, to get the hamster out. Another time, he managed to get underneath the floorboards, and so we could hear him running around underneath us. And I won't, you can ask me afterwards how we managed to extricate him from there. But I always thought that my hamster, when I used to watch him running around on his wheel, a bit like me, was really, really was a deep intellectual, a really deep thinking hamster. And I could imagine that as he ran around on this wheel every night, he could be saying to himself, what is this all about? Why am I running around on this wheel? What, what, what's the purpose in it? Why, why am I here? And if, he could have, if I could have communicated with him, I could have said, the reason you're here is because I bought you from the pet shop so that you'd entertain me or provide some interest in my life, along with Kim, of course. And um, so, you know, I, that's what I think he'd be thinking, and that's what I would have said to him. He obviously was a deep thinker, not much common sense, which is why he got caught in the gas fire and got stuck under the floorboards, etc., etc. And is that, like, is that how it is with God? Is God saying, actually, you know, I was a bit bored up here. Just, just the three of us, make, get that point in. Just the three of us. It would be so much, it'd so be more, so much more interesting if we had uh, 
people to run around and, and to watch. And, you know, and when they get into scrapes, we can sort them out and all the rest of it. Is that, is that, is that God? Is that why we were made for him? No, it's not. God, the love within the Trinity was so great that that love overflowed. So that everything that he made into, that, into, those, into those people, into creation, his love would flow. And therefore, each one of us needs to remember that we are made by God and we're made for him. You're not here, not one of us is here as an accident. Some of our children came along, at least one of them came along unexpectedly, unplanned. Whether we're unplanned by our parents or not, we're not outside of God's plan. Every one of us is planned. You're not here by chance, by accident, or by, by, by reason of somebody's relationship. You're here because God planned you to be here, and God loves you. God loves you. You might not feel it. You might not have any sense of that whatsoever, but that is what the Bible teaches us, that God loves us and wants to know us. And sometimes it seems that we're just running around on our hamster wheel, and we're right to ask, what on earth is the point of running around day after day, week after week, week, not seeming to get anywhere in life? And the answer is that that is not the point. The point is that there's a God who made you and loves you and loves me and, has he, and he has plans and purposes for us in this life and, as we've been so well reminded this morning, in an eternity to come. Doesn't that put the things, the problems of this life into perspective? I was reading from Thessalonians this morning. They've been persecuted as a church and there are many Christians we, we need to constantly remind ourselves who've been persecuted today. But compared to eternity, those troubles are indeed momentary, as we sang. And we need to, just like that Thessalonian church, and Paul reminds them, we need to have a focus on a coming Jesus, a coming kingdom, a coming kingdom in which he promises, and this is absolutely amazing, that we will share his glory with him for eternity. If that doesn't excite us, and I don't know what will, we will share the glory of God with him for eternity. That is why God has made us. That is his purpose for us. And because it's in Christ Jesus, it will happen. It doesn't depend upon us. It doesn't depend upon how well we do. If we believe him, we will share eternity with him and his glory. And it will be forever and ever more. Don't take it on my word. That's what the Bible teaches us time and time again. So the word from the beginning, the reason why. The word became flesh, made his dwelling among us. The word in the message, the word moved into the neighborhood. The word moved into the neighborhood. Jesus moved into the neighborhood. Now, the actual word dwelling that's used in the verse, in the NIV, neighborhood in the message, dwelling, is actually simply this. God the Word, pitched his tent among us. God pitched his tent among us. Now, as some of you already know, because we've talked to one or two people, we, I, I love camping, and Kim, in her kindness and grace, has allowed us to go camping. 
partly because I just went out and bought a tent without telling her and that sort of thing, but she's been very good. And so we've, we've been camping over the last few years. If you camp, if you, if, if you, you realise that it's not, it's not an activity for those of, of, of reclusive nature, right? <laughs> if you're going on a campsite, that's not the sort of place you want to be if you don't like being with people, if you don't like people to see what's going on, right? Because when you camp, and it's, it's, it's true, isn't it, from the moment you arrive on the campsite, you're aware that people are watching you. Not just they're watching you, they're laughing at you as you try and put up your tent. And, and they, of course, really know how to do it. People like us just do it once in a blue moon, and so each time we struggle. And you know that there are these people just looking on and laughing. They don't come and help very often, unless it's a Christian campsite. Occasionally they do. Because you're out there in the open. You know, and when you have, a, when you have an argument, which you then do while you're putting up the tent you know, because it isn't going oh well, and because you know people are laughing at you and all the rest of it, you think that you get stressed and you have an argument. You people can hear your arguments. And when you snore at night, people hear you snoring, right? So when, you camp, when you're in the tent, when you're camping, you are out in the open. When Jesus came, he pitched his tent out in the open. Out in the open. He didn't go and live in a great big castle behind high walls with a moat and all the rest of it. He didn't sort of have security gates. It wasn't by appointment only. He pitched his tent in the open so that everyone could see him. So when they came to arrest him, he said, why are you coming now? Why are you coming at night time? I've been out there in the temple every day. You've seen me, teaching me. You've been watching me. Why didn't you come and get me then? Because I've been public. I've been out in the open. When God came, he didn't hide away. He showed himself as he was. As he was. And when those, he showed himself as he was to the, to, the, to, the, to, the, to the world, to the people, and even more so to those disciples. Those disciples, of which John was one, had spent basically three years with him 24-7. So they had seen Jesus at all times, not just like on Sunday mornings when we're all on our best behavior and we look okay on the outside. They had seen Jesus when he was stressed, when he was pressured, when people hated him, when people were against him. They'd seen him in all those difficult things, those times that caused the real us to show. And we don't like it. They had been with him. And John says, we've seen his glory. We read it. John says, we saw his glory. So what, do they, what does he mean? That Jesus had some shining face, that his clothes are like washed in daz, you know, that wherever he went, the birds sang, the flowers bloomed, and people fell down and worshipped. He's not talking about that at all. He says, we've seen his glory. And what was his glory like? What was his glory? His glory was, he was full of grace and truth. That's what John says. Not that he was something somehow, you know, out there, you know, abstract, out at, you know, not part of the real world. They saw him, and his glory was that he was full of grace and truth. Through and through. So therefore, he wasn't just gracious to people on a one-by-one on, on, on one basis or some of the time. He wasn't just truthful occasionally or, or even truthful all the time. He was more than that. He was full of grace and truth. That's God, right the way through, like the Blackpool stick of rock. Wherever you cut him, wherever you break him, wherever you pressurize him, he's still the same, full of grace and truth. That is the word amongst us.
full in grace and truth. Those disciples were with him 24-7. When I was at Redcliffe this week, Mag Sue's the lady who does the, the module that I'm going along to, which is absolutely excellent, I should say. She said this week, she was talking about Jesus being with the 12 disciples, and she said, um, she just said off the cuff, she said, can you imagine what it was like having to live with 12 men 24-7 for three years? She said, I can't imagine anything more awful than having to live with 12 men 24-7. That must have been absolutely terrible. And all the women are nodding their heads. And us men are sort of looking rather nonplussed, you know, as not quite sure how to respond to this. Jesus was with those guys, and John was one of them. And he could say he was full of grace and truth. So this was the word from the beginning, the reason why everything is. He was the one that moved into the neighborhood, revealed exactly. He didn't hide away. And what did John say? He was full of grace and truth. Why did John tell us all this about Jesus? All right, yeah, he wants us to know what Jesus is like. He wants us to know what God is like through what, who, who Jesus was and what he was like. But that's not really why, that's not the end for John. We know why John told us these things if we turn right to the end of his gospel, just before the final epilogue of the catching the fish scene. John 20, John 20, verse um, 31. Well, let's read verse 30 as well. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. That you may believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. That's what it's all about. That's why Jesus came. It's so that we might have life. As said, as you said already, a life that goes on forever and ever by believing in his name. Communication cannot just be the person speaking. There's no communication if I speak and you've slept this morning, whatever else, that's absolutely fine. If there is, there's been no communication. There's only communication if you've listened and in a sense, if you also are able to respond to what is said. And this is true with Jesus, the Word. It's only real. It's only real if you actually are hearing and you're responding to what he says. That's, the, that's when communication happens. And John says, if you want to you, hear, it isn't just about hearing. It isn't just about understanding we said about Jesus being the word from the beginning, etc. It's about you believing. And that's the way you'll have life. So the question is a very simple one, isn't it? Is do we believe? Do we believe? And not the sort of modern Western belief, i.e. it's up here, but the sort of Jewish belief that men actually, yeah, I really do believe, and it's in here. And because it's in here, it's going to affect the way that I live, like Claire was sharing with me. The way I do things, the choices I make, the way I spend my money, the way I use my time. If I really believe in here, then it will change those things. 
And if it isn't changing those things, let me kindly suggest that maybe it's a belief up here and not a belief in here. And that belief up here is no belief in John's terms. That can be unbelief. The devil believes that Jesus was who he was and has all that power. I don't know what I'm doing there. The devil believes that. Thank you. No. The devil believes that. Do you believe? And another translation of that same verse we read in John 20 is this. Because it isn't just about saying, I've made a decision when I, was, when I was a lad and I signed a form, I prayed the prayer, and I believe. That's not really also a proper uh, metaphor for John 20, 31. Because really what it says is, if you go on believing, you will go on having life. See? So don't just look back. Don't look back to something, to your testimony 20, 30 years ago, whenever it was, or last week. Are you going on believing? Am I going on believing? Because if I do, I'm going on receiving and having life. And that applies to us all. And if we do, God graciously will give us his life. John had trusted, John the Apostle had trusted Jesus all his life. He's now an old man, probably when he's writing this book, because of different views that have started to circulate about Jesus. He'd seen, if we believe tradition, all the other apostles had gone. Most, if not all, had been martyred, including his own brother, who'd been the first to die. John, right at the end of his life, still trusts Jesus. He still believes that he was that word of God, full of grace and truth. And he wants us, like his other readers, because the people he's writing to, they hadn't seen (coughs) Jesus either. We haven't. But through his word, he wants us to believe and to go on believing and to know life, which is what God's intention for us all is.